What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes? Something amazing has happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com. E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. EinswickDogQuip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your I dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireport mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head halters. No, no head, head halters. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Glenn, what are you doing? I'm enjoying a delicious treat from Bright's Bites. The dog training treats? The same. I've heard that Bright's Bites are not just healthy and nutritious for dogs, but they're so delicious, they're actually a very motivational form of training. They are indeed. We've tested and tried them on site and they work just great. Well, how did you get a hold of those? Did you purchase them off of a website? I went to dogsquadtrainingservices.com.au. Did you just say dogsquadtrainingservices.com.au? I did, sir. That's where people should go to get themselves some Bright's Bites, healthy, nutritious, but also highly motivational dog training treats. Get them in your dog, y'all. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in our little IACP studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and we have the honour and privilege of having Dr. Roger Abrantes in here with us. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, Dr. Abrantes, the pleasure is really all ours. I've got to be honest, this was a highlight for me to come to this conference this year to hear you speak. I'm a big fan of your work. I think what you're putting out there at the moment is instrumental in changing people's thought processes and views, especially on aggressive behaviour. I've quoted you several times as we've talked about prior to going to air, and I absolutely love what you're putting out. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to hear what you're talking about. Thank you very much for your kind work. Thank you. And I have to give you a compliment back, because when I heard that you came from Australia, I said immediately I have to to say yes to go to their podcast. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) I I spent some of the best time of my life in Australia. Yeah, tell us about that. Why were you there and what were you doing? Where were you living? Well, it started, I got the commission to make a movie in uh, Africa Mm -hmm. uh, while I was training the Apopo 
and mine detection rats that you probably know, the giant Gambian pouch rats. Yep. They um, detect landmines uh, and uh, tuberculosis as well. So um, by coincidence, my cameraman and editor uh, of the movie was an Aussie from Wollongong. So we spent quite a time in uh, Africa, both at Apopo f- filming the rats. You know, guys, you have always to film much more than you actually need. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the bush as well, because now that we were there, we could as well do some of the footage. And we even got a fresh lion kill that we filmed from like 50 yards away. Wow. Very exciting. And then Mike had to go back to Australia to edit uh, the whole thing. And we kept in touch. uh, And uh, then uh, we decided that I'd better go there and help him because it's also easier, much easier when you are two doing that. So my idea was to go and stay there maybe for, I don't know, one month. But it ended up being more than one year. (laughs) And I loved it. I loved it, really. And you were saying that you lived in Wollongong? Wollongong, yeah. That's still my favorite place. It's a wonderful, it is a beautiful little cove, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm. it's a university town, as you know, so very cosmopolitan. You meet people from all over. Mm. You know, the first day we went to our local uh, pub to uh, you know drink a beer, yep. uh, pure blonde, and um, play pool because we are pool players, my wife and I. And um, you know the system: you put a coin, and then mm-hmm. so two or three hours later, we had. Uh, made friends, you know, and the day after when we got there, they all called us and, hey, come and play pool and, you know. So we left many good friends there. Easy, lovely time, lovely time. Awesome. That's great to hear. I guess a lot of people reminisce about Australian hospitality, which is nice to hear. I mean, all countries can have your your bad elements, but I think one of the ethos of Australian people is that we love making friends with people, you know, and people who love to... I'm going to use the term loosely, but integrate and try to make an effort. We just love connecting with people yeah. and learning about their culture and their way of life. And, um, yeah, and, and the, the thing that was fascinating at, the, at our local pubs, that we, we met people from all classes with all kinds of education. We all mixed up together, drinking a beer, having a good time, playing pool, you know. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what kind of class you belong to. We were all, you know, mates. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's yeah. the thing, yeah. 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 No, there is a, I have nothing. You say there are, there are always negative things and positive things. Well, the only negative thing I have to say about Australia, well, maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, have now. Now. you have no, to now. Now I have to say. <laughs> it's your government. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no we're in total agreement with that. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be living there. Yeah. yeah. They're an unusual group. Yeah, well. Mm. That's governments yeah. everywhere. Yeah, governments all over the world. <laughs> yes, yes, mm. yeah, right. Yeah. And so you're living in Portugal at the moment? Yeah, most part of the time in Portugal, and I spent still some time in Thailand. I also spent, well, at that time when I was doing that project in in Africa with Apopo, I was also working in Thailand doing some marine biology, environmental management, because not many people know that, but I am a sea captain and a dive master as well. So right, okay. Fantastic. I, I combine all the things, you know, I can... I can uh, uh, well, I already knew that we could be best friends. Yeah, I was going to say. That I'm a diver. I love diving with you sharks. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only done my rescue level, but... I probably I, don't need to be here. I can yeah, just let you two We can just excuse out. Pat and we'll just grab a beer. And, you know. <laughs> when I turned 40, I started reliving my childhood all, all over again and... I was intimidated by sharks originally and I didn't understand them and I thought, well, that's not a good enough reason not to try and learn about them and learn about their ecology. So I got intrigued about it. The dive master that I was learning under, he was a South African guy called Martin. I was over in the Maldives at the time, or Maldives as other people like to call it outside Australia. And um, (laughs) 
I was in the water with Martin and we were doing an early morning rehearsal on what the dive was going to be and a shark, like a little reef shark was swimming right. by and I, I nearly walked on water to get away from it and it was tiny little little shark and Martin's standing in the water and he's going, what's wrong, man? And I said, there's a shark there, dude. And he goes, yeah, he's more afraid of you than yeah. you are of him. That's the time for you to take the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, don't be a sissy, get back in the water and come and learn. He goes, let me... Let me talk to you about sharks. Let me show yeah. you their world. And did he did he really call you a sissy or something that we are not allowed to say here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he called me something in the letter saying right. yeah. <laughs> But uh, he was a he was a wonderful guy, and he like I think he had something like five thousand dives under his belt. So you know he yeah. he lived all over the world, and and like most divers do, they travel from yes. um, you know tropical location to location, and he dived in some magnificent places. Yeah. And we had beers afterwards, and he told me all about. It. But the interesting thing was he when he got me underwater and started to show me how fascinating sharks are and how peaceful they are in their environment. They're not man killers that people make them out to be. You know, that this whole ecosystem underwater is just magnificent. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't mess around with it, it won't mess around with you. No, that's right. So, yeah, I was fascinated by it. And, I, look, I haven't done a lot of extensive travel, but most holiday locations I go to, we seek out somewhere which is nice water to yeah, dive in and, dive, yeah. and where sharks yeah. are. So I've dived with lemons, Reef, nurse, bull sharks, yeah. and it's been cage-free where I've been out of Have sea. you seen whale sharks? They're not real sharks, but anyway. I went to Thailand. I went to Sail Rock, just off Koh Samui, and whale sharks turn up from time to time. Okay. And I was unfortunate the day I went there, it wasn't there. But it was like an array of pelagic fish that were there yeah. that was just – I've never seen anything like it. Barracuda – Giant yes. brim, like everything, yeah. you know. I mean, Trevally. Well, you know, I've been also diving many places, and I, I, I recommend people go to Thailand. Yeah. Thousand and one sea, you see everything there. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? You just uh, drop down into the water, and then you have a It's whole, a cascade a of universe fish. there. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, it was just yeah. incredible. I really, I was really blown away by the colors and the, the array of fish, and how big they were, yeah. too. Like, I've never seen fish that big. And the big. corals are still okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. You, you begin seeing, it's not the same. I, you know, when I compare the pictures that I took from 20 years ago and now, there is a huge difference. Yeah. But, um, but the, the, it's not as bad as in other places where I've seen the, the coral dying. You know? Yeah. Well, when, you, when you say that it's getting white, actually it's dying. Yeah. It's the, kind yeah. of the skeleton of the corals that you... Yeah, it's heartbreaking how much is actually yeah. going and, you know, like how much we're actually destroying. And when people start talking about the environment, it really takes you to get up close and personal to it to realise yeah. what kind of impact we really are having on it. Yeah, we are. Mm. So what's your extensive dive history? Like did you did it for marine biology, I take it? Yeah, well, I, I took student, you know, uh, I, I work, as, as you probably know, uh, well, I'm retired now, I have mm. to say. Officially retired, but as you can see, I'm still here. Yeah, still yeah. doing some work. <laughs> Which I, I like. So, that's well, so do we. We're, we're pleased you're yeah. still keeping a toe in the water. But I, I work for an ethology institute, scientific yep. director, and uh, one of my jobs at the time was the marine biology, environmental management. And uh, I took many students to, um, to Thailand. Yep. We used to give them first the paddy diving certificate. Yep. Uh, I think it was called op uh, advanced open, open water. Yeah, you yeah. do open water, then advanced yeah. open water. We, get, we gave them the advanced open water because yeah. we were certified to do that as well. Yeah. And uh, that took three, four days. And then we take them on uh, liverboard, you know, yeah. to the different uh, rocks. You know, there are many, many different islands, mm. uh, islets, uh, rocks. And um, with uh, an enormous marine life, as you know. As you know. Mm. And, uh, well, we taught them to... Um, observe, to collect the data, take pictures, uh, identify the different species, 
go there the day after to see if there were any differences, you know. Were you studying anything in particular? Like was there a, like an interest point that you were looking for or was it just no, the general No, it was just the general to, to give the students um, an idea of what marine biology was and uh, the effect of, uh, of the impact of what we're doing. Yep. Uh, pollution and, and all that. One species that I particularly like is the seahorses. Sea yep. Those I, I, I know, uh, I knew where they were. I don't know if they are still there because it's a few years ago. And um, I always had to go there and look at them. Fascinating yep. creatures. Not far from where Pat and I live in Sydney, there's a bay there called Cabbage Bay in, in Manly. You'd probably be familiar with yeah, Manly. Yes, yes. So I've been diving in there a few times. And uh, they've got a, actually a nice little uh, array of marine life there, including giant red cuttlefish and weedy sea dragons. Right. So they're, uh, they're related to yeah. the seahorse yeah. and they're fascinating to look. So you're from Sydney? I'm from Sydney. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, we're both from Sydney. So Pat lives pretty much in the heart of Sydney and I live about 45 minutes out. Um, north on, south? Uh, northwest on semi-rural property. Okay. Mm. okay. So you're the expert on aggression. Am I? We think so. <laughs> we think so. Actually, uh, I never considered myself an expert in anything in particular and uh, definitely not uh, aggressive behavior, but if you say so. I take the compliment. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an accomplished author and you've written several books, in particular with canine behaviour. But that, that doesn't mean that I know everything. No, no, no. And, <laughs> and like, I, I think it's unfair to hold anybody to that esteem and yes. to make them feel like they, they're answerable for everything. That's impossible. But as I was saying to you again before we turn the, the mics on, what I have read in your books made complete sense to me. And when I've relayed that to other people, they've... I've seen accomplished people themselves nodding and saying, yeah, Roger Brandy's work is fantastic. You know, I try to um, to make things very clear. My, my mind, uh, don't blame me, blame my genetic constitution, probably my parents and uh, education, environment, whatever. Yeah. But my mind works very logically, so I need to always move from one point to the next to the next. And I don't see any meaning in, in, in having any conversation or debate if we do not define the terms mm -hmm. properly. Yep. And um, most of the discussions that I, I hear and or I, I read on the internet these days about aggressive behavior and fearful behavior, dominant behavior, submissive behavior, oh no, and all those things that you are almost not allowed to mention these days, you know, mm. they are, um, I would call them pseudo discussions because nobody's talking about the same. They have different ideas of what the terms mean. Yep. So they just um, spitting out some sentences which in the end uh, don't make much sense to me. Yep. So I like to define the terms and define them in such a way that they are consistent within a system. You have read my work. You know that when I speak about, uh, for instance, the evolution of canine social behavior, mm -hmm. to understand the evolution of canine social behavior, you need to understand the role of these mechanisms that we call aggressive behavior, fearful behavior, dominant behavior, abusive behavior, and then others like pacifying, you know, many other behaviors as well. But we need to define them properly. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they need to be consistent within the system. It's not like, uh, you know, it's like mathematics. You know, you cannot say two plus two make four, but two plus three suddenly make six. Not if you are operating in the decimal system. Of course, you can do that in other systems, but within the same system, we need consistency. And that's why I'm so keen on defining terms. Probably mm -hmm. that's what you like. That what you yeah, well, in particular, I liked your definition on what predation was in relation to defining what defensive aggression is. There was a passage, 
I do have it on this computer, but I, right. I, I can't access it at the moment. But it's a quote that I show people, almost all the student groups that I put through, that's the first thing I show them. I said, I really believe that this definition has summed it up nicely. Right. Where practicality goes through saying that, you know, like the staging events of what animals do in relation to defensive aggression or resource guarding and the, the different characteristics. And then you pause at the end to say predation is not part of no. uh, a, an aggressive no, system. Predative, predator, uh, predatory behaviour has nothing to do with aggressive behaviour. Yeah, behavior. and you summarise it by saying it's in a completely different region yes. of the brain. Yes, mm. Com- completely different. Can we dig into that a little bit? Can yeah, we talk we have, about that? Uh, now that we talk about aggressive behaviour, um, yeah. it, it's interesting because aggressive behaviour plays a very important role in development of relationships between various individuals. Mm-hmm. Actually, Professor Conrad Lawrence who I uh, had the privilege of uh, having as my professor. I'm, I, I believe I'm one of the last living uh, wow. students of Professor Lawrence. I've he, read uh, On Aggression. On Aggression. Yeah. That is actually the book. Yep. That book, actually, the title is On Aggression, but yep. the, the German title is Das Sogenannte Böse, which means the so-called evil. Yep. And it's a completely different thing. Mm. Because according to Professor Lawrence, and that was for me fascinating at the time when, when he wrote that, the potential of showing aggressive behavior forces the individuals to create rituals to be able to develop um, a, a very keen ability to recognize small behavioral nuances in the others so that they cope with it the, the best possible way. In, in ethology, we always speak about cost and benefits, mm-hmm. which means having most benefits with least costs from any relationship. So aggressive behavior or the potential to show aggressive behavior is a necessity to develop strong bonds. We humans are very aggressive animals, potentially, and we create very strong bonds, as you know. Mm. Uh, the same with chimpanzees, with wolves, with dogs. On the other side, if you um, observe species uh, which don't show any significant uh, potential of aggressive behavior, they do not create bonds, individual bonds. They do not know one another individually. They know, well, it's a member of the group or it's not. Sometimes it, that's it. You know, smell says, oh, okay, this one is, is, uh, is one of the mates, you know, the other one is not. But they do not create these strong bonds. So aggressive behavior is misunderstood because there is nothing wrong with showing aggressive behavior or showing fearful behavior. Mm-hmm. What's wrong is showing aggressive behavior when you should show fearful behavior or the opposite. Yep. Or it's prolonged for no reason. Yes, and then that, very good that you mentioned that because that uh, brings me to the next point, which mm. is th- these days as well, there is a tendency to classify all behavior as reactive. It's like there, there, there are no aggressive, there, there are no animals showing any aggressive behavior any longer. They are all reactive. And that is a misunderstanding and, and a serious one in my mind. Right. Because there are two kinds of aggressive behavior. There is the so-called instrumental mm-hmm. aggressive behavior and the reactive, impulsive, uh, aggressive behavior. The first one, the instrumental, as a goal, an objective goal. And that is a very calculated one. There are no emotions. It's just, I want to do that. In order to do that, I need to show a certain amount of aggressive behavior. As soon as I get that, that's over. Right. The second one, the reactive, impulsive. Now I'm a little bit out of my field because these are not terms of ethology. These are terms from psychology. Right. And actually, it's it, uh, psychologists, specialists in uh, children, uh, behavior, behavioral disorders, as they are called. 
who coined these terms and distinguish between these two types of, of aggressive behavior. The reactive impulsive is um, has no apparent uh, reason, um, no goal, no apparent goal. It's uh, mostly based on a misinterpretation of the individual, of the circumstances. The individual sees no escape route, for instance, when there is one, mm-hmm. or an inability to um, control uh, emotions. And then it, the individual, whoever it is, displays this uh, impulsive, reactive, aggressive behavior. Yep. So can I give some examples of those to make sure I understand correctly? So the first would be, say, resource guarding, a, like in a dog, might be guarding an object. Like, this is mine. We're cool as long as you don't show any sort of... Desire to take it. Yeah, desire to take it from me. You do that. I push you away from that yes. by aggression. The reinforcer of my aggression yes. is distance. Yes. And now I'm no longer aggressive. Yes. Or if you want something, if you want the food, for instance, and you have to fight for it, I mean, it's a competition. To, to you, you, when you're living, to be alive is to be competing constantly, you know. So you want that. So your best strategy, you evaluate it, will be to show a certain amount of aggressive behavior. You do that when you get whatever you want, the resource, food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it's over. Yes, and the aggressive display, uh, the gr- aggressive behavior would just be a display at this point, right? Like not the actual committing of violence. Well, but it, the it, it depends. Of. It depends. Okay. Uh, and and it's I, I like it that you mentioned that because I distinguish. I normally you, I don't speak about aggression. I speak about aggressive behavior because I can observe aggressive behavior. Aggression as a concept, uh, it's a bit more difficult mm-hmm. to. Um, to uh, observe and, or to quantify or qualify. Mm-hmm. Another thing which is important now that we are talking about this is, I never say that an individual is aggressive. I say that individual shows aggressive behavior. Yep. Because mm-hmm. aggressive, uh, as well as fearful or dominant or submissive, is an adjective of behavior, not of an individual. Yes. Mm-hmm. An individual may show aggressive behavior in one situation and five minutes later show fearful behavior. You know, so it changes constantly. Yep. All the time. It's the survival of the fittest, as Darwin said many years ago. Yes. Yeah. And, and an example of the latter, sorry, what would you say that was? The reactive impulsive. Reactive impulsive aggressive yep. is where there's no, would you say then that? There is no goal. Yeah. You know, there's it's no d- a misjudgment of the, the circumstances. You see that in many dogs that react aggressively to whatever it may be uh, you say. But there is no reason for that. Well, no, there is no reason for you. But the dog perceives that as um, the only possibility I have to deal with it is mm-hmm. by showing aggressive behavior. Normally, it is due to poor imprinting, socialization, or training. Yeah, That's ironic, you know, because these days people speak about reactive. Like they say, oh, no, my dog is not aggressive. He's reactive. Like, okay, okay, that <laughs> explains it. I'm off the hook. You're not off the hook. Actually, you are incriminating yourself. Yeah. Because while the, the instrumental aggressive behavior has nothing to do with you. Has something to do with the individual and the resource, whatever that is. The reactive, impulsive, aggressive behavior in, in our dogs has everything to do with that, because that means that we failed. Critical period socialization, imprinting socialization, yeah. or training. Yes. Yeah. Or sometimes our reaction to it, because yeah. I see many dog owners reinforcing the behavior. They think they're not reinforcing, but they are actually reinforcing the behavior. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a concept that we discuss about regularly on the show that, you know, whatever you reinforce, you'll get more of. Can I unpack that a little bit? When you say that people are reinforcing behavior, there's a lot of interesting ideas about that and people saying that comforting a dog during a a fearful 
aggressive display is reinforcing the behavior. But you know, I'll contest that, that the behavior can be fearful and aggressive. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fear and yeah, let's unpack that. Let, yeah. <clears throat> fear and, the, and, the, and the aggression or fearful yeah. and the aggressive behavior are not compatible. Either you are one or the other. Okay. So they can't exist in the same plane together? No. Okay. They cannot. Yep. You can change quickly from one to the other. Yep. But uh, together, no. When you go for it, you are aggressive. So again, that would be different regions of the brain lighting up for pro- different. Pro- probably, probably yes. Yeah, we have not been able to map that right. completely, but it, from from a theoretical point of view, it makes sense yep. that the two things are totally separate from one another. Mm. What confuses people sometimes, I guess, is that an, an individual, a human as well, a, you know, all individuals with the social animals with the, the the potential to show aggressive behavior can be self confident or insecure. Mm-hmm. Self confidence is what we in ethology call dominant and showing dominant behavior and um, insecurity is what we call showing submissive behavior yep. and you can be cornered so that you you have no no other alternative than to fight back mm-hmm. at the moment you fight back you are genuinely aggressive it's an aggressive behavior mm-hmm. maybe you 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 display your insecurity still because you'd rather be in a completely different situation mm-hmm. but that is not the same as showing fearful behavior fearful behavior leads to Running Either away, run away, cowering, or, or taking the beating, or just drop that. Yep. Which you see many animals do that mm. actually in in nature when they are uh, caught by the predator, they just go into shock and that's yeah, it, you know, freeze. So, yeah, freeze. Well, it's a protection of the organism. The organism is protecting itself against uh, probably the pain, whatever, of being slaughtered. You know. Yeah, eat, and eat, eaten alive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I've always had this idea, which it sounds like you're about to destroy on me. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that all aggression is rooted in fear. No. Um, so that's not true. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. I'm very happy that we had this conversation. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if you're going to be happier in the future. No, no well, we if are, I want to be correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I, I want to have my mind changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, that's right. It's better to, <clears throat> better to know what we're talking about with authority rather than just yeah. – Drifting along, telling right. a story. So what I was taught and, and certainly have prescribed to until now is that aggression is is the fear of loss of something. And so like whether that be a physical item, like I want my food or whatever, or stature or whatever, but I'm protecting a resource in one way or another. Uh, yes, you, you are protecting the, the resource or you are you are trying to conquer the resource. Sure, well. yeah. But it's not um, – in, in that situation – when you have the resource, you can choose to run away from it, mm-hmm. which you will if your opponent is uh, very strong and you think uh, this is not, that doesn't pay off to do that. You know, it's everything is a question of cost and benefits. Yeah. And in nature, the, the one that uh, misjudges that is not liable to live very long, not long enough to uh, have progeny and to pass those yeah. misjudgmental uh, genes to the next generation. And that's how and maintain a population at a certain level. Mm-hmm. So it's a mistake. If you, It's a terrible mistake you do if you are guarding a resource and, and you have an opponent in front of you and you want to guard it, cost what it will cost, you know, and uh, you get defeated, maybe injured, seriously injured, maybe killed. Mm-hmm. And if you get killed, the story ends there. Your genes will not go to the next generation. Yeah. So I'm interested in that, that switch where you say, or not even necessarily switch, but the difference between aggression and fear. As you're saying, fear results in submissive or flight behavior. Yes. And aggression results in… Combative behavior. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, when, it, it, when it's in instrumental, it doesn't mean, not to go back to your question, 
You don't need to go and bite the other or kick or uh, punch or whatever. If you got what you got, what you wanted, that's it. You know? It's yeah. in. It's finished. That's finished. Yeah. You know, I just wanted that. That's yeah. fine. You go away voluntarily. That's fine. Just um, sidestepping for a little bit from this conversation, I was having a friendly discussion with a colleague about certain behaviours, and I'm going to use rams fighting over mating rights with you know during uh, rutting season, and two rams uh, headbutting each other at great velocity. It was suggested to me that it's not actually aggression when they're doing that, but moreover, it's ritualistic behaviour. And I kindly disagreed. I didn't believe that it was ritualistic behaviour. I actually see it as aggression because they're trying to harm or eliminate an opponent. But I have a solution for that. Of course. <clears throat> a compromise. Yes. It's ritualized aggressive behaviour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there that, you have your compromise. That I agree <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. That I Because when Pat and I were talking about this earlier on in the lobby while we are waiting for you, because we we're talking about yeah. that subject, because they practice it when they're young. Yes, of course. You know, yes. it's practice behavior. You're yeah. practicing for, you know, the onset yeah. of combat later on. They, they practice because it's going to be necessary for them. That's right. On. And uh, they learn to evaluate uh, whether should I continue or not. Mm -hmm. For them, of course, it's very important to gain access to the females. Yeah. You know, that's what I used to say. Life is all about food and sex. Yes. Uh, I'm a biologist, so forgive me for being so... Well, well I'm, I'm, I, I'm in complete agreement, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think okay, they're, they're, they're two, two great things in I, life. I hope the listeners don't get so. No, yeah, well, in Australia, nobody will get in the US. I don't know. Sometimes they are a bit sensitive, but. No, no, no. Okay. Our listeners are pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. They, they're used to listening to us yeah. bantering on. So uh, okay. we're pretty crass. So yeah. yeah. So, you know, those ritualized aggressive behavior, they, they have an essential role. Yeah. Because um, they try one another. They are really aggressive, at the, but it's ritualized because they're trying one another to see, can I win this one? Maybe not, you know? And if you cannot win, then you go away mm -hmm. because better leave, uh, better lose the, the, the battle, but win the war, right? Better, better leave another day yeah. and fight. And maybe next, next time you, you, you find an opponent a little bit weaker than you, a little bit more insecure, mm -hmm. you get your point, uh, and then, then you earn. You want the, the right to the females. But there are species, let me go back to cost and benefits. Because yep. again, everything a question of cost and benefits. There are species where yeah, it, the, the, you, you fight to death. Mm -hmm. uh, sea lions, for instance. But the price, the benefit, the price that you get by, by winning the, the contest between two males is enormous because you get access to the harem, yep. which are many, many females. That yes. You can have your progeny with, you know, and for each one, fifty percent of your genes to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Not bad. So it's a, it's, and if you don't only, big stakes, it, it, yeah, yeah. The bigger the stakes, you know, the more you, fiercely you're gonna fight. Yeah. Can I speak practically then on dogs? That imagine you have a nervy dog that initially displays fearful behavior and escapes at the sight of another dog. Yes. He goes on lead, realizes he can no longer escape, tries that, doesn't work, and now goes a forward aggressive yes. display. So you would say then he switched from fear to aggression. Yes. And the mechanism is still the same, right, in that he's trying to seek a reinforcer of distance yes. uh, in that in one way his fearful behavior reinforce is he gets away and then when he realizes that can't happen, he tries to push away via aggression. Yes. And if he cannot go away because he's on a, on a lead or in this case he's not a lead, he's a leash. I also distinguish between lead and leash, but that's take that okay. for another day. He cannot run away. Mm -hmm. So he can drop that or he can fight back. Right. And that's what the most do, most fight back. And then we only sort of scraped it. We were talking about the reinforcing 
say people reinforcing aggression. Yes. And I'm curious on your take as to like, I really feel, although I'm having the rug pulled out from underneath me on everything I know about aggression. <laughs> I, I really feel that the reinforcer of aggression is distance when we're dealing with dogs is that the, the thing that I don't want here anymore, the, the thing that I'm displaying aggressive yes. display to is no longer here and therefore I'm reinforced. So do you agree with that? And then if I, my intervention with that dog is unlikely to reinforce the aggression if he doesn't get fear, if he does, sorry, if he doesn't get distance. So by consoling or giving food or whatever my mechanism yeah. is to. You know, giving food, in my opinion, it's uh, very dangerous in this situation. I know that there are people that try to treat uh, aggressive behavior with uh, food and they claim that they uh, um, enforce the moment where the dog is not being aggressive. Mm -hmm. Which, if they do, my compliments to them because, uh, seriously speaking, I don't know how to do that because right. uh, the, the timing, the, when, how, how do I know if the dog still is potentially? Uh, well, that, that's the danger, right? Is know? that we don't, we can't see what the dog is feeling. We mm -hmm. can only, it, you know, again, we've talked about this subject matter a couple of times now. Is that the only time we can measure it is through behaviour. Yes. Like we can't determine, well, I can't determine what you're thinking right now. No, no. And now imagine, and we are the same species. Yeah. And we both. Uh, I can only, I can only determine it when I can physically right. see it, when it manifests. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why I find it so difficult mm. to, um, uh, to treat uh, aggressive behavior by means of reinforcing some parts of it, you know. I mean, if some people say they have success with that, so. Yeah. My compliments, but I, I, I. Very skeptical. It's like trying to judge when my wife is not angry with me. It's, well, it's yes. almost impossible. Yes. <laughs> um, I <laughs> will not comment on that one because <laughs> yeah, mine, one. mine might be listening. So, <laughs> so um, that example again, you have a dog displaying aggression and it is that the latter, again, sorry, I forget what you call that. Reactive impulsive. Reactive yes. impulsive aggression. This might be a, a question too detailed, but what would then a treatment protocol perhaps look like in that in that circumstance, if not with food and counter conditioning? Actually, the reactive, impulsive, aggressive behavior uh, is much easier to treat, so to say, than the instrumental one because mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong with the instrumental aggressive behavior. Yeah. It's um, it's just uh, I want that. What you have to teach the the dog then is that sorry, mate, you cannot always get what you want, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a bit difficult to to treat compared to the reactive, impulsive. It's because more controlled than treated, isn't it? Uh, sorry? It's more controlled than treated? Controlled the... The, the situation with the dog. Uh, we, we, in the case of the instrumental? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You, you, uh, you don't need to treat it because there's nothing to treat. Yeah. You just need to... Um, control the resource or control the stimuli. Yeah, and maybe a little bit of, um, of training. You know, yeah. Just uh, normal training. Yeah. Communicating with the dog uh, in... in Maybe a better way, uh, having a signal, which means to stop what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That will not lead to any uh, reinforcing yeah. stimulus or something like that. Yep. But with the reactive impulsive is um, easier because what you have to show the animal is that it is misjudging the environment, mm -hmm. that there is no reason uh, to show aggressive behavior in that situation. There is an escape route, for instance, mm -hmm. yep. which they cannot see. They fail to see that, as, uh, as we said initially because of poor imprinting socialization, mostly. And training as well, of course. But I will say basically it's the first 8, 12 weeks of age mm -hmm. that are very important. Yeah. 16 weeks. Yeah, the critical period. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. yeah. So uh, identifying to the dog then, there is an escape. You don't have to show aggression. You can 
actually stay into well are we then saying they're going to stay in a fearful state because we're going to remove them then and then they hopefully through counter conditioning are no longer fearful yes. but we show them a, a path to the reinforcer of distance yes because as soon as the dog realizes that oh but I, there is another option i do not need to show aggressive behavior and nothing happens mm-hmm. then we are creating an alternative for the dog to show another behavior and then we don't have first the aggressive behavior and we do we don't even have the fearful behavior either right that's gone as well yeah well it's very easy when we are here talking about that. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. reality, it's much more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Let's pick apart a little bit about the dominance issue because originally we were talking about it and you said that um, it's, a, it's a subject matter that most people don't want to talk about yeah. and actively avoid talking yes. about it now, which is kind of silly because I just don't agree with people at all when they say that dominance doesn't exist. I just see that as a, <clears throat> as a bit of a cop-out to not have to deal with it. When in my mind, in reality, I mean, dominance exists in all species, but it's it's only momentary to control what they need to control. And when it, that's done, they I tell you one thing: if animals didn't have social animals with the potential to show aggressive behavior, like us, like the dogs, if we did not have the possibility of displaying dominant and submissive behavior, we would uh, not be social, or we would kill one another constantly. That's intriguing. Because dominant and submissive behaviors, they originate from aggressive and fearful behavior. They are ways of dealing with your mates. You know, I, I, I distinguish between mates and aliens. Mates are those that you, your survival depends on them and you need to cohabit. Aliens are those that you don't need. So aliens, you can deal with by means of aggressive behavior and fearful behavior but because it's a go away. Yep. Show aggressive behavior. Oh, you are too big for me. I just hit the road. But if it is a mate, you're going to need him or her the day after because you're going hunting, for instance, and you cannot do that alone. Yep. So you cannot just hit the road and that, that's it. You, know, you, you, you have to be there and compromise, solve the, the dispute the best possible way. What do you do then? Instead of showing aggressive behavior, you show dominant behavior. And instead of showing fearful behavior and running away, you show submissive behavior. And if you look at us humans, that's what we do constantly and all the time. Mm-hmm. When we're driving, you know, sometimes the driver goes a little bit, okay, okay, you go. You know. Yeah. And the times you say, no, 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 enough is enough. Today now I'm it's my in. turn. Yeah. You know? mm. You're not being aggressive or fearful. You're showing dominant behavior or submissive behavior. We, we do that constantly. We do that uh, 100, 200, 300 times a day. Mm. And we change yep. constantly. I can show dominant behavior now. In a little while, I will show submissive behavior. Same with you, same with our dogs. Yep. I mean, if you do, if you if you do not understand dominant and submissive behavior, then I I, I will say you don't know anything about social behavior. Yep. Because th- th- these two concepts, which uh, which summarize class of behaviors, they are absolutely vital, essential mm. to understand social behavior. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a fascinating concept, and uh, uh, it certainly expands it a little bit more than my current vocabulary, but. The concept that I've always believed, which is along the lines of what you're speaking about and even your teachings, is that the same wolf who will dominate his way through a pack will also rely on his own family members and his pack members to help him bring down the ox later on. Yeah, but, you know, even the another term that you're not allowed to, to speak about these days is the alpha. For us, ethologists, yep. there is nothing wrong about alpha. It's a, a Greek alphabet letter, and it denominates the number one in the yep. pack, the leader of the pack, mm-hmm. the leader of the pack. Normal in wolves is normally the, the elder one, the 
probably the father of the youngsters and he doesn't go around showing dominant behavior all the time. Yeah, only when necessary. Only when necessary, yeah. Mm. If it's not necessary, it doesn't. Yeah. I've seen all the, the, the canines that I've studied, including wolves, I've seen many times the, the alpha, the, the leader, going by, passing by another one, one of the lowest ranking, and the lowest ranking was, you know, having a good time with a bone or whatever, a piece of whatever. And um, snarls a little bit at the, the leader, you know, a, a very subtle, uh, you know, and the leader just makes a, uh, turns around, goes the other way. Yeah, because it's not worth yeah. getting in a fight yeah. over. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. So yeah. I've seen many times the leader laying down with the cubs on top of him, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, um, it's a big mis- It's more a political statement, actually. You know, I, I think people mix their emotions with the uh, fact. With, uh, yeah, uh, as do I. We, we all have a tendency to do that, of course, but I mean, uh, I, I, uh, as a scientist, I always force myself to distinguish between my own opinions and uh, facts. Yeah. One, one thing is fact. Facts are not debatable. Normative judgments, statements are debatable. Yeah. But I, I think it's also the misuse of the, the terms that make, maybe makes people so excited. Once I spoke about hijacking terms, because once someone asked me about them, um, so what do you think about Grisha Stewart's uh, bat system? Because mm-hmm. she uses uh, very special terms. I said, yes, she does. But she does it in a self-containing system. She defines and mm-hmm. uses them in a self-containing system. So I cannot say anything about that. Mm-hmm. If, I, if, I, I, if I don't like the system, I have to go to the root of the system and say, oh, look, there is something here inconsistent. But from there on, there is nothing inconsistent. So... No ethologist has anything against the way that, for instance, Christian Stewart uses the term that she uses, which for us sound a little bit weird. I was talking to her about that yesterday. So, But the same with us. Uh, and, and, and I even told her now, Grisha, imagine that we, we go and, and hijack one of your terms from your bad system. We hijack one of your terms and we begin using it in a different way. And this is how we feel, ethologists, that trainers, they hijacked our terms dominant behaviors, emissive behavior, uh, leader of the pack, you know, which are terms that are describing facts. Yep. There is no moral in it. We're not saying it's good or it's bad. Yep. There is no good or bad for us in science, you know. They hijack these terms and they give them some moral values. They define them with uh, some political uh, connotations and then use them as they please, you mm. know. And sometimes they even go back and attack us, like some years ago when uh, Mark Beckhoff and... Uh, Simon Gadbois and I were uh, the fire by uh, a group of doctrines, the same that uh, claimed that dominance did not exist. Mm. Yeah, I was watching that from afar, um, yeah. seeing where that was going to snowball into it. I never agreed with it from the beginning because it just didn't make any sense to me. Do you know what a fallacy is? A fallacy? Yeah. You know that? Yes. Yeah, a moralistic fallacy, you know that yeah. one? Yeah. That's what they're committing. Yeah. Because the thing is, because they don't like a thing, they deny yep. the existence. Yeah, which is a little bit criminal in a kind of way. Yeah, it's uh, for me, it's unsound uh, argumentation and judgment. Yeah. You know, um, science, let, let me emphasize that, science does not, or facts, do not oblige you to adopt any moral stance in mm-hmm. specific, yep. in particular. Uh, science tells you how things are, and then you decide how you think that things should be or how you like them. I can give you examples. For instance, if you ask me about... Um, you didn't, but let's suppose that you ask me about um, talking tails and... Cropping ears? 
what you call that, um, cropping, cropping is. Yeah. Cropping is, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I have to say about that. I have an argument. If you ask me if I'm for or against, I can say very clearly I'm against. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me why, I have an argument that no one can argue against. You know what it is? I'd like to hear it. I don't like it. Okay. Yeah, that's your yeah, that's uh, your standpoint on yeah. it. Yeah. I don't like it. You cannot argue against uh, my likings or not. You can say, oh, but it's not true. It's not true what you know about. I don't like it. Yep. I personally do not like to cut parts of the body and unnecessarily cut parts of the body yep. of living organisms. And I'm completely covered here because I said unnecessarily. I mean, in the case of, of amputation because of uh, infection or, yeah, infection yeah, yeah. or something, yep. then it's necessary. I still don't like it. Can I take that a step further for you then? Sure, go ahead. What about desexing animals? How do you feel about that? About desexing, spaying, like taking their sexual organs out? Um, I don't like it either. Right. I'm interested in that and not But, but not again, for an ag- again, if it is unnecessarily, mm-hmm. you no. Know, if it is for our vanity or no. But, but this is not the scientist speaking now. Now, yep. now this is Roger Arendt is the personal, the private person speaking. Mm. It's important to distinguish between the two. There may be many good reasons, or you may argue that uh, spaying, neutering uh, is good because then the animal has more freedom in certain aspects uh, or herbs and so on. But I will still argue that maybe for our vanity, you know, because we want to put the animal in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, a personal opinion. That we are now going to the normative field and away from the descriptive Going into morals, ethics, very dangerous ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if we're talking about neutering for argument's sake, as an as a doctor of ethology, what are your thoughts around controlling aggression or lessening aggression from neutering male dogs? Well, that we know. <clears throat> we know because we have uh, statistics. Okay. And um, in males, it's the defects are vary a lot. It depends on many things, the age of the dog. It depends on the production of testosterone. It even depends on breeds, actually. In uh, females, we haven't found any uh, good effects of uh, sterilizing, especially if they have uh, a certain age. They, it can even get worse, actually. Yeah. So as an endocrinology <coughs> issue, it causes a lot more problems than it fixes? And I can give you an example mm-hmm. why, why a proof of th- that uh, it, it's not working. In Europe, it's very seldom that you uh, uh, castrate because that's what it is. We mm-hmm. call it neuter in the US especially, but it's, you, you cut the testicles of yep. the animal. Yep. Let's, be, Let's be true, true yeah, about that. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. Um, it's very seldom you do that unless there is a clinical reason. Mm-hmm. If your veterinarian found something, and then, it, then you are again necessary. If it's necessary, that's fine. Well, it's not fine because it's sad, but it's fine. Yeah, it's the lesser of two ways. Yeah. In, in the US, for instance, all, basically all males are neutered. So you would say that there, are, there were no aggressive uh, dogs in the US. <laughs> and, there are, and there are loads of them. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. In Australia, I think, I don't remember the policy is also, is also not neutering, right? It's fairly common that people do. It's now, encouraged. Yeah, it, it's uh, encouraged. Because 10 years ago, it wasn't uh, that much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's mainly encouraged. I mean, the first conversation a new puppy buyer will be having with their vet when they go for their checkup is you should consider spaying and neutering your animal and they'll actually encourage you to book the animal in. Yeah. But don't you think, again, my, the private person now, Roger Rundle, private speaking, not the scientist, don't you think there is something wrong about the only way we can keep animals is 
doing such a, a radical intervention, yeah. you know? hundred percent I do. And it, mm. it, you're relieving people of all their responsibility. That's yeah. the watering down and lazying of society and that yeah. you can control your dog. It just having an intact dog doesn't mean that it's going to get pregnant or going to impregnate yes. another. Yes. It yes. will only, it will only take the opportunities that it gets by the people who control yeah. it. I think that if we, uh, if we had some, uh, Aliens coming from another planet and looking at uh, what we're doing here, they would uh, find us very cruel. Very cruel. Look, yeah. they, they really spay and neuter those animals just because they want to, to keep them confined, confined mm. to their uh, small apartments or uh, gardens or, uh, you know. Look, I don't want to sit on the fence with this because my stance is originally, you know, when they were talking about the whole docking movement, wanting to ban that ear cropping and everything like that, I understand why the people don't want to see it anymore. I, I mean, I've been in Rottweilers for many years and docking laws were up until the last 10 years, you could dock Rottweiler tails, um, could, yeah. any breeds, you could dock tails. But there was a point in time where the government stepped in and said, no, no more, that's it. It's federally banned. There's no more docking of tails, Yeah, which I don't have a problem with because it's mainly a cosmetic thing Yeah, that doesn't serve any purpose. I mean, there were suggestions that in days gone by that because they were herding dogs that they were yes. getting a lot of tail injuries or because they were dogs of war they didn't want anything to be grabbed by or you know when they were sending them in because i mean the rottweiler or the mastiff that that it originated from it originally came from a roman army dog where they gilded it up with spikes and razor armor and everything and sent it into but you, you, don't, you don't see any injuries in the rottweilers uh, these days you know with long tails i, I actually no, th- but that's why we, yeah. we don't have the same classifications or the same reasons and anymore. the same with the spaniels yeah well my my spaniel uh, i have a springer she had to have her tail dog she got happy tail but because she's a she's a pretty extreme dog and she's constantly that tail was just going non-stop and she got yeah. a very small wound in the end of it yeah. and just never i tried really hard because i did not want it docked mostly because I didn't want to answer the questions from people. And we tried to save it and we docked at half, did like a field dock, right. and then that still didn't recover and it had to be the full yeah, thing in the yeah. end. Yeah. Well, with the Spaniels, I, I had Spaniels myself, Cocker Spaniels, English Cocker Spaniels, the real ones. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for me, the real, the real Cocker Spaniel is the, the English Cocker Spaniel. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no offense to my American friends and the American Cocker Spaniels, but no, I, the English ones. And um, they... Uh, I'm from the time where you also uh, docked the tail, you know, and uh, the tail was uh, constantly happy. So I can imagine. But they look actually pretty nice too. Uh, I remember at the time we think, oh no, Cocker Spaniel, a long tail. Mm. But then we begin seeing them with the long tails and look very nice. Yeah. I think it's, uh, we were speaking about this with someone earlier this morning. I think it's purely a functionality thing for me. I think yeah. that if the dog is better off without it, yeah. you haven't been able to breed it shorter. Sure, but you know that can happen. I mean, yeah. no, of course, it can happen to anyone. It mm. can happen to you too. That uh, look, I broke my finger, as you can see. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, that does mean that uh, well, let's uh, cut the fingers off because because uh, it may get broken. Yeah, yeah that that know. makes sense. And uh, we have ten of them, so mm. we can get ten broken. It's a big risk. Let's yeah. cut them off. You know. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with it, but um, getting back to the spaying neutering topic, Karen Becker put out a video uh, some time ago, uh, several years ago, in fact, where she was she pretty much whistle blew on the entire veterinary industry in relation to early spaying and neutering in animals and the effect that it has on the endocrinology uh, system of the right. dogs. I don't know enough about it. I'm not an, a vet. I, I don't know enough about biology to, to have a, an active stance or opinion on that. It would be obscene if I tried to but it was an interesting concept nonetheless I'm interested in your take on that what you what you have you seen it uh, first no, and foremost no, no 
Okay. What What are your thoughts around that? Around uh, endocrinology issues in relation to um, removing sexual organs? Of course, there you you when you remove the sexual organs of the animals, you change them radically. Yeah. Yep. There's no hormone production uh, no. Being, about being male or female. And some more than others, of course, depending yep. on age and depending on many factors. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean that we do not need to do it sometimes. For instance, if a, if a female has, has a recurrent pyometrius, then of course it's advisable to, to sterilize her yep. to avoid that. Yeah, of course. But that's already a condition that needs yes. active intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I'm sure there are other veterinarian situations where it would be advisable to mm-hmm. do that. But from, from as, a, as a principle, you know, like, uh, okay, the puppy is eight weeks or ten weeks, and uh, let's say you're not now, it's time to neuter or, or spay. I don't know. My, as, as a scientist, I cannot say anything about that other than you changing. You, you change the animal mm-hmm. and the way the animal uh, will react and will experience the world. For sure you do that. That's the only thing I can tell. Uh, whether it's good or bad, it's up to you to decide because that's a moral judgment in the end, you know. Yeah. Personally, I I think it's strange for me. It appears very strange to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to be an uncomfortable and unpopular topic to talk about those sort of things because people are saying, well, that means that you're uh, advocating for a lot of unresponsible, a lot of people that are not responsible to have dogs roaming around the neighbourhood that are getting into situations where they could accidentally mate and have puppies. And that's that leads back to Pat's earlier point, which I believe was... But why should the animal pay for the negligence of the owners? And, and we're in agreement to that. That's yeah. what yeah. we're talking about. And that's about. the issue at hand is that ultimately comes back to negligence. You know, yes. you're not managing a situation that you... I believe that when you buy an animal, you're bound by an ethical standpoint where you're saying, well, now I'm going to take responsible for you because... You know, if you're coming into my home and household, then the rest of your comfort for the rest of your life is is now on me. Yes. Because you can't manage this yourself, and it's it's on me to provide yeah. for you and keep you safe, housed, healthy, etc. Et but cetera. you know, unfortunately, in in my point of view, uh, there's not many. I mean, there are many many owners, dog owners, and cat owners, and whatever you know, horse owners as well. They they don't uh, consider those aspects that you just mentioned. They mm. just um, they just want to. They see it as a right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's more it's of my, a right. It's my right, and uh, and um, I want to make it easy for myself. And yep. uh, of course, I'm nice to the animal. Their way of being nice to the animal, but mm. they don't. They don't consider the animal as um, an end in itself. It's more like means to my happiness or my. Mm, that's my vanity. That's the nail on the head. Yeah. If I can, I'd like to steer us back a little bit to talking about that fluidity in behavior in the the difference between displays of dominance and submission, yes. displays of aggression and fear, and the moving in between of those. That's something that's really interesting to me in that I think that it is all situationally yes. controlled. In a former life, I was in the army. I was in special forces in the army. And it's a group of – that's a group of men who, it, absent the rules and controls that is required of them from the army – would kill each other in 10 minutes. You put all those guys together in outside, take away the rules of the hierarchy, the, yes. the created hierarchy of yes. the army. They're, they're handpicked guys that are uh, usually display dominance yes. to get what they want and have the capacity through violence to get what they want. But then we put over them a new set of rules. Yes. This guy gets to make the decisions, be they good, bad, or otherwise, yeah. because of the rank he wears. Yes. And the system works. We, we're able to control that. 
And I, I try to apply that a little bit to dogs as well. And, and I don't know that it works as, as well as maybe I think it does, but we just have like rules and procedures and we say that you may be an extremely dominant being, but this is not a time when you're allowed to display it. You know, rules, uh, we don't like rules. Normally we don't like rules because rules limit us, but the rules also give us a lot of freedom mm. on the other side. We need rules. You see rules everywhere. Nature has rules. Uh, the universe has rules. Exactly. You know? uh, we cannot avoid the rules. Mm. The question when, when we make the rules, the question is whether they are reasonable and what are the consequences of, of not complying. Because this, uh, that's also important. It, it, it's, mi- it's meaningless to make a rule if there are no consequences for not complying. Okay. Yeah, but if the rules are are uh, are reasonable, then they are there to facilitate life for everybody. The group, like you said, in uh, in your army group, if there is no respect for the rank, uh, then uh, probably the officers will be killed in uh, one day. Yeah, and you see that in all s- social animals that live in, in in groups, no matter what species it is, there are rules, there are, there are limits, there are lines that you don't cross, and that makes life easy for everybody. Because uh, everybody knows exactly what can I do, what can I not do, what am I allowed to, what are the consequences? Oh, if I go there and steal his bone, it's going to beat my ear. Oh, I better not do that. You know. So we need we need rules, whether we like them or not. Just think about it. They have to be reasonable, and the consequences have to be very clear. Mm-hmm. And then the fluidity of behavior. I'm very interested in. In that, you said that there isn't an aggressive dog. There's a dog who's displaying aggression. Yes. And I'm interested then predatory aggression versus the the type of aggression over over possession. You know, and, and how fast an animal can switch in and out of that and that's and that's effects. But predatory aggression, we agree that it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. 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 Well, so like predatory display of violence. Uh, so imagine a dog uh, who, you know, imagine a working dog where I've got a, a – a sleeve or a young dog and I've got a, a rag on a rope and I'm swinging it around and he's madly trying to get it. And then I put myself into the picture and he bites me in order to now get it. Like that would, would you agree then that's like a mind state shift in an instant? Um, I think it's a loss of uh, control of, of emotions uh, mm-hmm. from the part of the dog, which can go back as we saw earlier to imprinting social the critical phases as you talked about or, or, or training, you know, and it can be very forced because he bites you, he gets it. So, mm-hmm. okay, next time I'm going to bite him again and then I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the dogs, they learn that when they are pups. They play with, with, with one another. Well, that's they, probably more ritualistic itself, isn't it? Like it, that, yeah, that they, sort of they, play? Yeah, but they, they play with one another and they learn mm-hmm. that, okay, now I can get it, now I cannot get it. And if I exaggerate, then the other one comes and bites me, so I better keep cool, you know. So um, it's... Uh, it's a thing that you have to learn. Dogs, like, like we, all animals. Uh, well, there are two strategies in nature. One is you're born with a lot of instinctive ability to display in- instinctive behavior, and um, and you don't learn much, but it's enough because your in- instinctive behavior uh, gets you through life. And then there is the second strategy. You're not born with so much. You cannot do so much when you're born, but then you have an enormous ability to learn, which means to adapt. We belong to that group. Uh, our dogs do as well. Mm-hmm. Dog puppies, they, they don't know so much, but um, they learn. They adapt to the circumstances. And they adapt again, as the ornithologists say, because of cost and benefits. Behaviorists would say because of reinforces and punishes. But it's the same thing. Not exactly, because um, 
reinforcers and punishers have a, a, a timing. Uh, okay. I have to be to work here and now. You know, the association is uh, if it is not connected in time, then there is no association. There is mm. no learning. But costs and benefits work on long term as well. There are long term benefits and long term costs. For instance, altruistic behavior. Altruistic behavior is behavior where now, right now, it's more costful for me than beneficial. It costs more. But in the long term, it's going to be beneficial. For instance, when you sacrifice yourself sometimes for your progeny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, slightly different benefits and cost and reinforces and uh, punishes. Yeah. But it's uh, two different models. We, you can combine them, actually. My latest book, uh, which I wrote, I think, in 2015, it's called um, Merging Ethology and Behaviorism. You can combine them. You can explain. It, it, it depends on the level. You know, like trying to explain um, the movement of bodies, whether you use uh, Newton or Einstein, it depends. Do you want an explanation of bodies that move at very slow speeds or uh, high speeds, you know? Mm-hmm. Slow speeds go for Newton. Yeah. Otherwise, go for Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same. You want to train your dog? Go for behaviorism. It's very easy. It's like a cooking recipe, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you want to understand the behavior of the animal, then you have to go for the ethologist explanation. Yeah, right. That's a. <laughs> they are compatible uh, yeah. the, in in a way. They are. Yeah, and you should be. I guess, like for the long term benefit of the animal, you should be really keeping a toe in both, right? Yes, I I would say so. I I would say that you need both. You need uh, to be able to uh, apply. Look, ethology doesn't tell you how to train an animal. There is no training method, which is ethology method, but it tells you how to understand why the animal does what it does, yep. when it does it. Well, does that's it. that's one of the key questions of our basis, I believe, is that why does a dog do what it does? Yeah. Well, those are the questions that started ethology. Yep. Tim, Tim Bergen's four questions, I'm going to speak about them in uh, tomorrow during my talk. Cool. One of the questions was was that exactly. Why does the animal do that in the in in those circumstances and not in other. All behavior is conditional. Yep. Pavlov said that, but again, he was lost in, in translation. You know, he was not speaking, Pavlov was not speaking about conditioned and unconditioned stimuli or reinforcers or stimuli. He was speaking about conditional, which, right. make a, which makes a difference. Right. But it was lost in translation. Yeah, right. Okay. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, Pavlov, what he meant is that all... Uh, stimuli are conditional mm-hmm. they, uh, and, and stimuli and responses all the responses are conditional which means depends on conditions so he spoke about the conditioned as it was translated which he meant conditional they depend on certain conditions mm-hmm. food food only works if you're hungry yep you know Absolutely, um, and uh, uh, well, it can either be appetitive or aversive yeah. depending on the situation it can be a, it, 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 exactly it can be an aversive yeah yeah I mean, and, uh, I mean, if you're sick and the side yeah, of food will yeah, only make you yeah. feel more sick. Actually, all reinforcers can be, uh, uh, aversives can be punishes as well. Exactly. And punishes, yeah, they can uh, switch and, roles. And punishes can be uh, reinforcers as well. Yep. So you cannot, and this is the condi- conditionality, if I can say like that, that Pavlov was talking about, and it was lost in Fascinating. But uh, if you read the original in Russian, I was so lucky once that I had a Russian, um, well, not Russian, it was a uh, Croatian, um, Stu- Bosnian student, mm-hmm. but she knew um, uh, Russian and she wanted to make a thesis on Pavlov. 
And then I told her, but then you have to read Pavlov in original because I do, I do not accept any theses that are not, uh, not come to the original. Oh, but I, I, I'm fluent in Russian. Okay, so do it. And she came to me one day and she was completely out of her mind. You know what? In, he doesn't speak about conditioned and unconditioned. No, show me. And I had to learn a little bit of Russian because I wanted to understand it and I wanted to be able to translate. And it's absolutely correct. Wow. So <laughs> that's fascinating. There you got uh, the news of the day for your podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's going to blow a few minds. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that, that's exactly the reason why we want to talk to people like you is because, you know, you've made it your life's work to study these type of things. And as I said, it's not my field. It would be obscene to pretend that it is. And your message before is exactly right. We owe it to people like yourself to bring it to our attention, what this actually is, so we can utilize it to become better trainers, to understand why animals are behaving the way we do, yeah. so we can modify that to best fit our, our circumstances yeah. and our lifestyles. I really appreciate your work. I know I've told you this before. Thank but, you, thank you very you know, much. Like, but, but keep the two things separate. Keep the moral, the the moral part and the factual the part. Keep those two separated. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do that, it it. Um, I mean, not you specifically, specific, yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we do that, you know, then uh, we commit less uh, blunders. Um, my brain's going a million miles now because I kind of have to rethink something that I've thought for a long time in that. Fearful behavior is fearful behavior and aggressive behavior is aggressive behavior. Yes. I've always put them into the same category, even though they're a different display, but I've always felt as though if you unpack it far enough, the, the reason it's one is happening over the other in the, in the brain of the dog is for the same. Okay. I'm going to make it a little bit more confusing for you. Now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you, 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 maybe you're right. And then you ask, how come? It's again, you remember earlier, I used an example with the decimal system. Uh, two plus two is four in the yep. decimal system, but not in other systems. Mm -hmm. It all depends on what model you're using. In this model here, which is uh, consistent that I use to explain uh, social behavior and the evolution of social behavior, um, which is based on, on, on also the physiology of the brain and of, of, of fear and aggressive behavior and et cetera. Aggressive and fearful behavior are not compatible. They are two different, completely different things. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that maybe one day someone comes up with a, an extremely good model where the two things are compatible. But that new model, and that, is, that works in science, always like that, has to be at least as good as mine and better mm -hmm. or simpler. And if it is, then that will be the new model. And I will be the first one to complement that person. Because mm -hmm. so far it doesn't exist. Not that uh, since 1985, when I first came up with this one, yeah, and uh, I remember when I first presented it in uh, in Cambridge, mm -hmm. I was terribly nervous because I said, "Oh, gee, yeah, well, you're I, changing the landscape." I, of, I'm gonna, I'm of gonna be, known. I'm gonna be slaughtered. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they, um, well, I, I was not doing it on by myself because I was basing it on observations and studies done by many of my colleagues. One of them. Uh, not with us any longer is Eric Zimmer. And I was uh, at the time we we didn't have internet or anything, so we were corresponding by letter, you know. And uh, we asked questions. I, I remember when um, we were discussing our old professor Zimmer, who was also a student of uh, Lawrence. And Lawrence has the, that that diagram with uh, aggressive behavior and fearful behavior, and then uh, inevitably you come to one displaying both aggressive and fearful behavior. And then Zimmer wants. Uh, to me, have you ever seen that behavior? And then I said, No, I haven't uh, aggressive. 
I have seen something similar beyond that. Then I begin thinking about that because I I, I love you know the the evolutionary the it's kind of science fiction you know but science fiction in the good sense you know building models and so on. Then I try to build a new model, and then I say, okay, what if we now instead of only operating with aggressive and fearful, also introduce the two other big of the big four, which is dominant behavior and submissive behavior into it, and expand the model. And then I made some very bad drawings because I'm not very good at drawing and sent them to to uh, Zeman. And he said, that makes sense, he said. And in his book, you can see that in his book, he has that one out of the system. That was exactly the, the 1981, I think it was, that his book came. It's called The Wolf, uh, It's Place in the Natural Envi- Environment. That was the time when I was working with uh, what later became this model here. Mm. Then I got an excellent uh, Danish illustrator, Alice Rasmussen, to make the pictures that you probably know from my book, Dog Language, with all the yep. dog heads, you know. And, uh, and that is more, a bit more, it's more complicated than um, Lawrence's, mm-hmm. but it explains more. So it's okay. So the next one has to be either explain more or be less complicated than mine. And I, as I was telling you, I, I was expecting, oh, yeah, in a couple of years or three, you will have a new theory. But it didn't happen. And uh, I guess it's because ethology is not uh, fashionable anymore. Right, yeah. So it's not because my model is so, so good. It's just because nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. I guess. I doubt that. Yeah. Um, well, there's the challenge. My brain's going a thousand miles an hour over mm. it because I'm just trying. To, I know what you're saying. I'm just trying to explain how, how, where to put that in the boxes in my mind because I, I know that we have dogs that display aggression, and then through a counter conditioning process, we we make them no longer uh, concerned about the thing they're displaying aggression at, and they don't display aggression anymore. In some cases, I am passionate about making dogs strong. That's something that we talk about on the podcast all the time in that I'm big on development of puppies and, and really making them the best version of themselves. But then also with older dogs, sort of uh, creating a braver being and rarely, yes. rarely ever actually addressing if your dog has a fearful or an aggressive response to a thing, rarely ever do I actually address the thing, make the dog a better version of himself. And in a lot of cases, the the actual trigger takes care of itself. So I'm trying to figure out how I can put what you're saying into these boxes in my head about fearful behavior and aggressive behavior being separate. And and there's a branch and you can Mm. only go one way or the other. Yeah. You turn from one to the other, you know, right. You, you, you can, you can, as I said earlier, you can be fearful and there is no way out. Then you have to, you know, Choose to be aggressive at that point. You, you, you were saying that you were an army man. Yeah, yeah. You've seen uh, under fire how people react under fire. Yeah, you know, and uh, probably under fire, you, you, you would rather not be there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there are two options: those that cowered out, as you say, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the, the that's the way they are. You know, yep. sometimes you really have to force them. Hey, pull yourself together, you know? Yeah. And a lot of the times people don't know that's going to happen to them until it They does. don't know until you are in the situation. Mm-hmm. And then there are the others that, uh, you know, say, okay, uh, you still, uh, you know, that adrenaline shaking and you try not to shake and all that, but you go for it. And at that moment, you're not fearful. You are aggressive. You know, you're showing it, you're aggressive you behavior. You have all the insecurity, all the adrenaline, all of the, of not wanting to be there, you know, but you go for it. And if you don't, 
fear takes power of you you know then don't do anything yeah, I, i've seen that in the sea you know i'm a sea captain as, yeah. as i told you guys and I've, i've seen that in storms really really bad storms yeah i've seen people completely freeze curled and and do nothing and i could say can you i could ask them uh, you know to reef the sail or do whatever they they were useless they block up Completely, yeah. completely. And I, I cannot blame them. It's mm. uh, because they didn't know they were like this. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's funny. Again, a pre-conversation Pat and I were having on the way into the podcast was, remember as a young bloke when I was uh, I was doing some amateur boxing, and I remember the first fight I ever went to, I was so scared. And when I was walking down there, I was, I was trembling. Yes. I was trying to hide it. You know, I was putting my hands under, under my robe so people couldn't see my hand shaking. And uh, I stepped into the ring And I just, I couldn't hear anything my coach was saying. And all, I thought I was fighting. All I was doing was running around, trying not to get hit and throwing yeah. windmill punches because I was terrified. And it wasn't until I became acclimatized to the uh, predicament and the situation that I changed from being scared and to being tactical. And when I was tactical, I was aggressive because then I was more focused on what I wanted and how to get it, and, th and that meant re remove my opponent. That was instrumental aggressiveness, yeah. <laughs> because you wanted the... That's right. Was a, there was a goal. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. But I remember the clarification, you know, now that you're talking about, because I've amalgamated the two in the past as, as well and thought that, that, you know, one is derived from the other, and, you know, listening to you now, it's, um, that's, that's certainly challenged my beliefs, which is good, yes. you know, in a healthy way. And I'm, I'm, I love having these conversations because I need to know it because otherwise you're, you're fraudulent on what you're saying to people. But, yeah, I can think about my own experiences in, in being in a state of terror and not being able to comprehend what's happening until being clear, yeah. you know, where you're clear about your goal and the definition of what you're trying to right. achieve. Mm. And you're, and you're That's know, guys, making sense to me. Yeah, and if, uh, if we were back home in uh, Illawarra, I would now take you to the Illawarra to uh, go and uh, drink a... Uh, some pure blondes and shoot some pool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to, the, we, you can choose Illawarra Hotel, the Irish pub, or Diggers. Yep. <laughs> Diggers, yeah. Well, if you're over in Australia and you're back in that region, please look us up and, and I will you, definitely you, take you, you out. You, you are in the region, you know, the, that's the region for me, so yep. I will certainly do I, that. I will, Pat and I will meet you down there and we'll take you for a pure blonde. Absolutely. That's fine. Thank um, you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, really absolutely. appreciate it. Mm. I'm probably going to have to go back to my room now and put my brain back together <laughs> um, and understand why things that I – what's important for me is I've done a lot of aggressive dog rehabilitation and changed a lot of minds and I have mm. a technique that I can replicate and works and I've right. taught to people. And now using what you just said, I have to go and figure out why the fuck that works. <laughs> Because it's not right. good enough for me just to say that it does. I have no. to know the mechanism and the mechanism yeah. isn't what I thought. So I have to go and figure that out. So thank oh, you. That's thank you for, yeah, thanks thank for clearing you. up that interpretation so we're not misinterpreting it. Yeah. yeah. And thank you guys too. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, Always a pleasure. A pleasure. Yeah, Always no, a pleasure. absolute pleasure on our end too. So next so. time we'll meet in uh, our region. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah, pure good. blondes all around. Cheers. All right. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode per month. Ten dollars gets you a live Q&A. And, &A and uh, you know, you could always buy one of us a private jet if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> the stakes are going up every time. <laughs> if you want to support the show as well, you could buy a T-shirt, some merch, whatever, through our Teespring store. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is via email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Glenn, music. Music. <laughs>